you mentioned your friend. Yes, but <laughs> these are the parents who say, you're fine. Oh, yeah. You're okay. It's okay. You're, you're fine. When we're yep. having big feelings, you're fine. Well, no, right. I'm actually not fine in this moment. Don't try to tell me I am. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That didn't feel good, and I'm not going to tell her again. And there it is. You're listening to What's the Lesson, a podcast where we shift your WTF moments into WTL moments and learn together how to transform your life and relationships through social-emotional learning. We're your hosts, Jill and Mary, social-emotional learning experts and the co-founders of Girls Mentorship, a personal growth and development company for teen and tween girls. In each episode, we'll explore the five competencies of SEL, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making, and share practical tips, stories, and strategies for building these skills in ourselves and others. Whether you're a parent, educator, or just looking to improve your own social-emotional well-being, this podcast is for you. Join us as we navigate the exciting and sometimes challenging world of SEL and discover the power that emotional intelligence has to transform our lives and communities. Welcome back to the show, everyone. What's the lesson? I'm here with my best friend and co-host, the one and only Jill Peterson. Hello, everyone. Uh, we are social emotional learning experts, which means we love to teach people how to utilize their emotional intelligence. We started with girls. Girls were really the vehicle for us to be able to do that. But what girls taught us was that everyone needs it. Literally, you, your mom, your dad, your brother, your cousin Eddie, everyone needs <laughs> All social the Griswolds. Everyone needs social emotional learning in their life. Um, and for us, it's really been the title of this podcast, What's the Lesson, right? It's helped us to take all of our WTF moments and turn them into lessons and really understand that life is happening for us, not happening to us. So we're excited to have this conversation today. I know when Jill met our guest, she came home giddy like a schoolgirl and was so excited to tell me who she went and saw. And I was like, oh, I know Francine. And she was like, what? You do? <laughs> um, and it, it's been a really cool full circle moment because I was introduced to Francine at an event that I was asked to do a little presentation at like a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. So um, we've we've sustained our business in that time, thank goodness. <laughs> and now we're on the other side of the screen. So would you put your hands together and please help me welcome Francine Sumner, who is the founder of Kid in the Corner, an incredible nonprofit here in Arizona that we are going to dive into telling you all about. Hi, Francine. Hi, Francine. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, we're thrilled to have you. And our audience is, is in for a treat with this conversation. So we're really excited to have this conversation with you today because I got this special privilege to come to my kids' school and learn more about your organization and a little bit more about your personal story. So when I found out that my school, so my kids are in elementary school, that they were holding more of these parent 
parent nights, parent informational nights, and they're bringing in other community leaders to really educate parents to um, know more about their their kids' mental health and different resources out there. They brought in Francine and Kid in the Corner to talk more to the the school parents or the 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 parents at the school around a pretty big conversation that you personally have dealt with. So before um, I spilled the beans, I would love for you to share a little bit more about who you are and um, how you started Kid in the Corner. Sure. So Kid in the Corner uh, started in 2017 after I lost my youngest son, Zachary, to suicide. And Zachary at that time was 16 going on 17. So it was June of 2017. He would have been 17 in, in August, just completed his sophomore year. And he had a short public battle with mental illness. I mean, his first breakdown, real breakdown was December of 2016. And sadly, he was gone in June. But what we really found after taking a really good hard look at that story was that for us, it was all about the stigma. You know, the stigma that surrounds mental illness really does inhibit people from getting help, finding help, knowing what to do, what to say. People are so afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing that they do nothing. And so it started with Zachary's stigma, right? I mean, for three months, he didn't say anything about a huge thing that had happened to him in his life. And he'd been isolating. He'd been dealing with it himself. And he didn't understand what was happening to him. He was scared. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. all this, all the signs of stigma. And by the time the first breakdown happened, he was well steeped in it. Mm-hmm. And, at, you know, so, so it was sort of like the baton was tossed to me to now try to find him some help. And again, there's stigma. I didn't know who to call, where to go, what the resources were. Um, and when you're in it and you're drinking from a fire hose, it's really oh. difficult yeah. And so, you know, he wound up seeing four different providers, four different psychiatric providers in a six month period. Nobody ever had him long enough to properly diagnose him. So when he did take his life in a very manic moment, um, when you usually when you hear about or think about suicide, right, you're thinking about a kid balled up in the corner of his room. He wasn't. He was in a real manic state, but thinking impulsively because he was bipolar but on antidepressants, Mm. antidepressants in teens, especially can increase suicidal ideation, all things we didn't know and could have learned through simple conversations, educating and spreading awareness, things like that. Mm. And so we knew that we had some pretty important information that we needed to disseminate, but we really needed to get in the, in the face of youth and teach youth how to talk to each other because we know, right. That peers talk to people years before they come to adults. So Mm -hmm. we need to make each youth that we come in contact with a resource, you know, unto themselves. Absolutely. Will you dive a little bit more into the fact that he saw four different providers in six months? Because I feel like I'm someone who's dealt with that as well with with my family and getting my sister the help that she needed when she was going through crisis. And I feel like people think that they're broken as opposed to not being able to find the right fit in terms of the provider and what they are personally needing out of someone. And that, I mean, that 
for us added a whole other layer of stress and anxiety that we really didn't know existed was now cycling through mm-hmm. who we could find to trust and and properly diagnose and really want to help as opposed to write us off and i mean that in two ways write us off as if we were just another you know check mark, but also write us off in terms of medication that we may not have needed or not give us medication that we may have needed. Right. Exactly. And so for us, the way that it played out was when Zach, so, you know, after he had his, his first breakdown, he went to California to spend some time with his dad and his siblings for the holidays. And now, you know, it was up to me to try to find him a provider. And I really didn't know where to start. I, I called a couple of people that I knew that I thought might have some idea. And I started there. They gave me a few names. I called and I found a provider that they had both recommended, you know, together. And I thought, let me start there. And she was very willing to see him in May. So this was September. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, this was December, right? We couldn't wait. I mean, I made the appointment because I didn't know if we'd find anything else, but you can't wait till May. Can't wait till May for a broken leg and you can't wait till May for this. And so we kept going, kept going, kept going. I couldn't find anybody in our insurance that would take him. And I finally found somebody outside of our insurance and he was great, you know, but he was $600 for the first week and like $400 a week after that, which is just not sustainable by most. And that guy was pretty good. That, that doctor was pretty good. And he did put him on a medication to begin with. That medication didn't work. The first one, we know that happens with, you know, physical health and mental health medications. Um, Sometimes you have to play around until you find the right one. So when it wasn't working, he decided that he, that Zach really needed to go in the hospital. Now we, we see psychiatric provider number two, right? Okay. Cause when you're in the hospital, um, it's the hospital psychiatrist. Yeah. It's a whole oh. new, it's a whole right. new set of eyes. And that is equally frustrating because there's also a communication breakdown that happens between one provider to the next. Mm-hmm. So you find yourself retelling the story and catching people up and Yep. Unfortunately, at that point, it does feel like you're a number. So you're not really confident in the fact that whom you're explaining this story to is actually hearing you. Well, and you hit the nail on the head because that was one of Zachary's big complaints was I can't talk about this again. Like I can't tell my story again. And he had to. He was there for two weeks. They changed his medication. They put him on an antidepressant, stabilized him a bit. And then when he came out of the hospital, they set us up with a psychiatric provider in our insurance plan. So psychiatric provider number three. So this is in March. We go to see her and she is not a good fit at all. Just not a good fit. Spent most of our time talking about, you know, how frustrated she was that she had to take insurance because she could be making a lot more money. Oh, that's so sad. It is mm-hmm. because we're, mm-hmm. we're we're dealing with someone's life. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. not the it's, prioritization is off. Right. Yeah. And it was dejecting for him, right? And and I'm just talking about, you know, the continuum of psychiatric care. I'm not even talking about therapeutic care. We're right. just talking about psychiatric care at this point. But I, you know, I had made that appointment for me, so I'd never canceled it, and I said, "We'll see her twice just to keep up your medications." And then we'll go see the fourth psychiatric provider, the one I originally wanted to see in May. So now we go see the fourth one. And she does a great intake. She was a a nurse practitioner, but dealt a lot in psychiatric youth, you know, adolescent psychiatric care, but she was a nurse practitioner. And so when she saw him, 
you know, he was at the point where he had already gone through DBT, right? He was feeling a little bit better. He'd been through therapy, but he still had a lot of anxiety in social situations and there was still some stuff going on. So she decided to increase his medication. And then over the next few weeks, he started to become really manic. Mm-hmm. So the medication that mm-hmm. he was currently on was for an antidepressant. Correct. So then she upped it. So she and upped he, it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he had adverse, uh, you know, adverse right. um, side effects. And so we went and met her again. You know, he was very upset. He was like, I, I can't, I'm manic. I know it. Like I'm spending money. I'm doing all these things. And my thoughts are racing. And my dreams are vivid. And can you take me to the store to return? Th-? You know, it was all kinds of things like that. And when we went to see her the second time, she said, he probably should be on a mood stabilizer, which is a completely different drug than an antidepressant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he should probably be on a mood stabilizer, but since this is only the second time I've had him, I don't feel comfortable doing that yet. So let's bring his medication down a little bit and see what happens. And we never had another visit because it took his life in that really manic moment. And when he died, our, you know, in my mailbox a few days later, were all the copays back. Oh, that's yeah. heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. Well, and I want to touch on something you said, like he was spending money, right? He's 16 going on 17. I remember when I listened to your talk a year and a half ago, you said he was a very responsible kid and he had mm-hmm. a job. And when he decided to commit the act he was watching someone's dog is that i mean Mm -hmm. i i want to i want to normalize it enough for people to understand that this isn't a unique scenario this isn't a unique situation your child was an active contributing member of society yes he was very very much so um and he learned a lot from from the therapeutic side of things, right? So the psychiatric side of things was one thing, but he really did have a lot of support on the therapeutic side and went through the DBT program, you know, the dialectical behavioral training, which is a 10 week long program. And I participated also, and he really worked hard. You know, he, at the end of that program, they asked him to stay on because he was such a good role model for others. You know, he really put his all into it. He wasn't one of because he wanted to get better. He did. I it's remember really all he wanted. That mm-hmm. being a part of your story that you shared the evening that I heard you, and of course, I'm sitting there. My heart is breaking as a mother. I can't imagine what you have walked through, and now you're using your pain for such a purpose. And what I what I really heard, and why I was so in that moment, I was so compelled to come to you and let you know about what we do at Girls Mentorship because you you use the word stigma mm-hmm. and how, um, yes, as a family, you all were figuring out what was going to work for Zachary. But really what I heard when I listened to your talk that night was how do kids advocate for other kids? So me being a mom of two boys, I was like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know that there is stigma around going up to someone who might feel like they don't want anybody to come and speak to them. So yeah. I really learned the word stigma and what it meant. And I think this is where I want to bring the conversation back around to say, what is stigma? 
and why why is it such a, an anchor in your foundation and why um, we need more kids to know what this word means to be able to shatter it so we can support kids fully. Right, exactly. And I think that, you know, when we really break it down, stigma is a mark of disgrace or shame mm-hmm. associated with a particular, you know, instance or circumstance. And so, you know, yes, you know, you go to prison, there's stigma around that, you know, you're ashamed and embarrassed. But when it comes to, to health, any kind of health, physical health, mental health, there really is no reason to be ashamed or embarrassed because it is part of our lives. We are going to have sad and bad days. Right. Just like we tell kids we're going to have colds. And sometimes our colds turn into something worse. And sometimes our sad and bad days turn into something worse. But at the very foundational level, let's talk about how we get through our sad and bad days Mm -hmm. and how we support each other and ourselves through situations like that. You know, A lot of people said that they hadn't reached out to Zachary because they didn't know what to say. They thought it was awkward that, you know, it would make it worse or it would remind him. And are these his friends that you're talking about? Friends, his his, family members. Okay. Yeah. Friends, family members, teachers, um, you know, you name it. People Mm. are like, oh, I didn't really know what to say. Mm -hmm. And that's on you. Right. Yeah. And the reason why we don't know what to say is because we haven't heard it talked about. We haven't had those conversations. We haven't normalized it. Um, you know, you don't have to text somebody and say, how's your mental health? But you can say, I haven't seen you in a while. You're doing all right. Right. You know, you haven't been in school for a while. Do you need anything? It's not that hard. Um, and what happens then is it makes the person on the other end feel like they matter. Mm-hmm. Mm. And when I'll tell you when Zach died, my kids will tell you this. When Zach died, I can't, I can't tell you all the people that reached out, but I can tell you who didn't. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that gave me full body chills. Well, and I, I have to imagine that the people who didn't, just putting myself in their shoes, felt shame around not taking action when they could have right. or going back in their head and mm-hmm. saying, oh my gosh, I-, I was about to send a, a message and I-, I did something else. And now I don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. breaching the subject. Exactly. Right. So that's where our underlying theme of kindness comes in. You know, you have to be kind to yourself and you have to be kind to others, right? You have to assume positive intent. Somebody hasn't reached out. There's probably a reason why not. Mm-hmm. probably it's stigma. They forgot. They didn't know what to say. Um, you know, they reach out three months later and have some grace, you know, because at least they did reach out. Um, you know, it's about coming from a place of kindness with mm-hmm. how we give and receive conversations and words. Our words matter. Right. And not holding the expectation. I love, I love that in terms of like, I, I wish you would have, and there's barriers for you not. So I have to understand that this is our life and this is something that happened in our life. It doesn't mean it necessarily happened the same way in your life. And I understand maybe why you didn't reach out or whatever it was. And I think as humans, that's really difficult because we hold on to expectation instead of just having appreciation towards either them not reaching out, maybe that's a blessing or three months later, like you said, and giving them the grace and knowing that. And then modeling that behavior ourselves, right? That's what we're trying to teach the youth, you know, is model the behavior that you want to see. So you make it a practice to reach out. You know, you make it a practice to shatter that stigma. 
and you'll start to attract people that want to do the same. You guys, have you heard that we're hosting a summer camp? Listen, you can go to a summer camp that kills time or you can attend a camp that leverages it. This summer, we aim to empower and inspire young women to pursue more. More confidence, more positive friendships, more community impact, more dreams and aspirations, more self-honoring and healthy habits. To explore more camp options, go to girlsmentorship.com. We can't wait to see you there. That right there is really why we love social emotional learning is because social emotional learning isn't just for girls. It's for all of us to develop in these competencies so we can show up fully as ourselves, but show up for others who matter to us. Exactly. The emotional intelligence piece, right? If you don't have emotional intelligence, you don't have self-awareness, you don't have social awareness, you're not going to be able to tell if somebody else is hurting because your meters are off. Right. right? You're like, woo, woo, woo. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, none of it matters. That's, you Mm -hmm. hit the nail on the head. That's why this work is so imperative. And something you said, a big part of the story was that you made an appointment in December and you couldn't get seen until May. Mm-hmm. Now that the pandemic has hit, it's the, the three-year anniversary of it was just last month. And it's interesting to us because now wait times are even further and further and further. And it's like, when you're in crisis, that's yeah. not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Right. And it feels really good in our position to be a, another space. We yes. can't prescribe, we can't diagnose, but can we give tools? Can we listen? Can we support 100%? And I think if more people understood that they had those exact same skills to be able to give, we would be in such a better place with mental health in general. Uh-huh. Well, right. And that's why, you know, we are trying to strengthen our community by making each youth their own resource. Mm. So they know how to take care of themselves. They know how to reach out. They know the hotlines. They know the resources. They know the language. They become rooted in the community as a resource. I love that. And then pass those resources on, right? That's why the Penny Pledge is such an individual call to action. Uh Because the more people that take it, the more we can sort of shift that culture and shatter the stigma. Yeah. So I was just going to say, what is the Penny Pledge? Well, even before that, will you talk about starting the foundation? Because you're yeah. you say we and we is kid in the corner. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yes. how long after Zach's passing did you start to take action on this? Because what Jill just asked, like the penny pledge, we did it at our workshop um, in February. It was incredible to watch these girls take that away. And there's she's got the whole book open right in front of her. We want to get into a few of the tools and tactics that you yeah. use to empower your community. But yeah, there's kid in the corner. So kid in the corner started. Um, about three months, you know, we, we sat down, I would say a couple of weeks after Zachary died. And when I say we, um, I have a really good, strong community, core community of friends. So sort of a funny story, but, um, we had this, these four families who all had boys, right. All the same age, all biblical names, like Jacob, Adam, David, all Right. Exactly. Um, and we're all like either Jewish or blended family. It's just funny. Anyway, we all, you know, we're in this play group and we start to do all these things together and we all wound up being sort of pregnant at the same time. With, and we all had girls. So there were four boys and then four girls. All of you guys have. Wow. Funny. Yeah. Were the names 
biblical? Do we have oh. a Ruth and a Mary and <laughs> we have an Ellen, a Gabrielle, an Ellen. Rachel. Okay. okay. A Rachel. Okay. And an Emma. Perfect. So, okay. Yeah. She's she's definitely somewhere in there, you That's know. Funny. Right. So yeah. So we were really, 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 really close. And, you know, um, the boys are all still close and a couple of the girls are still best friends. You know, we they all grew up together like cousins. And then along came Zach. And nobody else would agree. I was like, come on, you guys. You know, the you have third to kid. Come on. They're like, no. <laughs> we're done it too, honey. Sorry. No, Hands sorry. Full. So we made those other three parents, three sets of parents were all Zach's godparents. Oh, that's cool. So one of them was a pediatrician, one of them was a lawyer, you know, and so another one of them is really, you know, um, just a sort of out in the community um, go getter. And we all sat down together and we're like, we need to do something. We just really need to do something. And we started to brainstorm and we started to meet weekly. And in September, we started a launch. And I want to say in was September or October, I was speaking at Horizon High School. Wow. And it has really evolved since then. But it, it was so apparent early on. And it started in 2017? 2017. Wow. We became a nonprofit a year later. Okay. So in 2018, we got our nonprofit status and we've been building our program ever since. That's incredible. I mean, it sounds like you would have had your nonprofit status in 2017 had the process not taken so long. <laughs> that wasn't on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we- That we process were, is very long. It is. It's very long. Um, you know, and we needed it, right? To be able to apply for grants and get donations and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. I think we started with like, you know, $200 or something like that in the bank and- and we've really grown the program and we've used a lot, a lot of subject matter experts, um, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists and educators and, um, you know, youth advocates and so many people that have really helped us come up with an amazing tried and true program. It is that it, I can speak from, I, I can speak from experience, listening to the conversations that you have with parents, educating them, but also seeing the work that you do with the children. Mm -hmm. So we got the, we, we, we were able to have Francine come in and, and lead a workshop for our girls, but she also, your organization goes in to middle schoolers and elementary school kids to tell them all about stigma and helping them create a self-care plan so that when they don't when when they're not at the desperate point of oh my gosh i'm in a crisis what francine and kid in the corner really does is take them through how do we set them up so they can practice and have this plan in place so it doesn't have to get to that crisis right. or if it does they know who to turn to so the work that you guys are doing is so important. And that's why I felt so called to come up to you and, and let you know that you inspired me and that I know you will inspire our community and why we wanted you on this podcast. Because so many times parents are like, how do we help our daughter? What else can we do? And yes, we advocate and support social emotional learning. But really, I think something that you taught the two of us is the self-care plan. So can you talk a little bit more about why the self-care plan has been a part of your program and a tool that kids can really utilize when they need it? Yeah. So the program in its entirety is called the Penny Pledge Program. Um, and the Penny Pledge itself 
is an individual call to action, right? So there are, you know, a pledge is a promise. And at the end of our program, you know, kids will promise or pledge, right? To three parts, to reach out to the kid in the corner, whoever that may be, you know, and it, and it doesn't need to be a kid, but this is meant to be peer to peer, but you know, our parents, our friends, our cousins, um, people who are new showing different behaviors. So how to do that, how to reach out and they practice it. The second part of the penny pledge is we're going to pledge to take care of my own mental health, know that it's okay to not be okay and a strength to ask for help. And in that segment, we create these self-care plans because we know what we need and our families know what we need when we have colds and things like that. Um, and as parents, right, we know that this kid likes chicken soup and this kid likes tomato soup and we just know it. It's been communicated. There's no stigma, shame around it. We know it. Well, when we're having our sad and our bad days or our kids are having their sad and bad days, it's really important for us, for, for them themselves to understand what works for them, right? And it's an individual plan. What works for them may not work for their siblings or their friends or anybody else. And that's okay. Who's their safe person to talk to? What is their self-love language, right? Um, you know, we always talk about how Zachary loved dogs, animals, 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 animals. His dad loved physical activity. Right. Gym, gym, gym. They like, you know? Yeah. But if they would have just had that conversation, um, right. you know, it's so, so it's okay to say, I'm so glad that the gym works for you. Really what works for me is this. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to own that, navigate for that and understand yourself a little bit, knowing some mindfulness techniques, what kind of breathing things or other things, meditation things can I do that work for me that can sort of bring me down a little bit. Different ones work for different people, um, things like that. And so they then walk away with their self-care plan, understanding what they need out of their safe people, because what I need might not be what you need. And then to think about who, who in their life can fit that mold, right? Who fits that model? Mm-hmm. may not be everybody in their life. So sort of talking them through how to fill out that self-care plan, what things to consider and think about. And then owning it and sharing it. And we always do it in pencil because it can change, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're we're ever evolving. And, um, you know, maybe right now um, I like to, you know, sit in my room, play video games. And after a while, I'll, there's something else that I'll like to do better. But having those conversations um, with ourselves first and then communicating our self-care plans or the things that we need and the things that don't work for us, you know, helps us to shatter that stigma advocate for ourselves and know that sad and bad days, just like colds are going to come and go in our lives. And then what happens when those sad and bad days don't go away, right? So what are the hotlines and resources we can use? So many kids in Arizona don't know about Teen Lifeline, which Mm -hmm. is an incredible resource right here, um, available for youth to text or call to get advice or help or help somebody through a really difficult situation or to help their friends. And then the third part of the penny pledge is, you know, knowing what to do, pledging to be a safe and caring person for others, right? So if somebody comes to me and says, I'm struggling, I want to hurt myself. I know the difference between tattling and advocating, one's to get someone in trouble, Uh one's to get some help. I know what the hotlines and resources are. And, you know, I also know um, how to have empathetic statements. So that's the program in a nutshell. It is so good. 
And Mary and I got to see our girls specifically. I mean, they were taking notes. They were raising their hands. They were loving this conversation. And and two things that I just want to call out in the self, self-care plan that I feel like what you shined a light for us as their leaders and mentors, but really for them that one of the sections in your self-care plans are safe friends that I can talk to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times our safe friends, we kind of immediately go to our best friends, like our best friends who yep. we can say anything to. But I, the way that you explained it to them, and I would love for you to explain a little bit sure. about that for our listeners, because friends are everything when we're that age. And mm-hmm. as adults, it's also nice to know which friends are for us in certain situations. So can you speak to that a little bit more? Sure. Um, So, you know, the way that I look at it is, you know, I personally have a lot of friends. Um, I'm very blessed in that, in that regard. And there's, there's some friends that look at social emotional situations in a different light than I do, right? Doesn't necessarily mean that they look at it right or wrong. It's just in a different light than I do. So one of my very, very best friends, um, love her dearly. She'd do anything in the world for me, but she is, a, I, she is what I call an, I know, but right. So, you know, I'm feeling really sad today. I know, but at least you have this, this, and this, <laughs> and she's right. She's right. Because I do have a lot of things in my life to be grateful for so many things in my life to be grateful for, but sometimes <laughs> And when I'm in a situation, I'm not, that's not, that's not where, that's not what I need. I need somebody to sit in the muck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody to sort of say, you know, yeah, you know what? That's really horrible. <laughs> You're and right. That sucks. That yeah. just sucks. She's not that person. She's giving me all that she has from a very loving place, but I'm not getting what I need. Right. doesn't make her a bad person or a bad friend. It's just not the right fit for me. And so I have another friend um, who I who I don't probably see as much as this person. But I know if I call her and have a conversation with her about stuff like this, she'll meet me where I'm at. We share the same sort of emotional intelligence. And so it's just because somebody is your best friend or they're the person that you spend the most time with or they're your good hiking friend or they're on your soccer team or gymnastics team doesn't mean they have to be everything to you, right? And so if you're not getting what you need, stop trying to fit that square peg into a round hole, right? Oh, say it louder for the people in the back. (laughs) Again, because we put that on ourselves. It's almost like we stigmatize ourselves in that, that something is wrong with us if the person that we're going to doesn't understand what we're dealing with. And then we're like, well, now what? And and then it's like analysis by paralysis and we stop doing anything because now mm-hmm. we feel shame and judgment and all the other exactly. things that that we we kind of put on ourselves in those situations. And make your feelings not feel as big, even though they're probably big to you. It's like, well, right. someone else just told me that they're not. So Right. Maybe. Now I feel a little invalidated. Yeah. And, and uh, I'm going to, you know, move past that or that's going to hurt you even more. It right. could either you know, it, it could totally do the opposite effect to you mm-hmm. reaching out to him in the first place. Right, exactly. And so, you know, you learn that 
There are different people in your life for different things, different reasons, and utilize them that way. It's like your toolbox of friends. Mm. Um, You know, I have a really good friend that loves to hike and I have other friends that don't like to hike. So I don't call the friends that don't like to hike to hike. You know what I mean? (laughs) Don't call us. Amen. Don't. (laughs) I mean, yeah, don't call us. (laughs) Right. I mean, I have friends who like sushi, friends who don't, you know, it doesn't make them bad. It just, you know. I'm my own person and I like, you know, I like my things or need my things. And there are certain people in my life that can, I can share those things with and others that I can't, and that's okay. And it's the Mm -hmm. same thing with having those really difficult conversations. It's Um, so interesting that you break it down that way because mm -hmm. we're nodding our heads, right? I'm sure people listening (laughs) to this are going to be like, yeah, I'm never going to call Jill when I'm going to sushi because she doesn't like fish. (laughs) Right. It can really be that simplistic and we get so. Yep up the creek with it in terms of overthinking and questioning our actions. And it's like, no, just do it. Just reach out. Just say the thing. Just, Mm -hmm. just take action. Just take action. And know what works for you, right? right? Nobody can tell you what works or doesn't work for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, here comes the kindness, right? So we don't want to say to somebody else, like, oh my God, you just don't get it. You're just horrible. You're not a good listener. You're not, no, not the listener that I need. Mm. Right. Such a good um, reframe that is so powerful. Good. Yeah. So, that's so powerful. Yeah. And so, you know, take it upon yourself to find what works for you. Be your own advocate, right? <laughs> Emotional Just- intelligence. You got to dive into who you are and what you need. Cause I'll never forget looking at the girls, girls' faces when they realized that self-care wasn't just bubble baths and pedicures. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's great. That's so great that as a society, we prioritize self-care in terms of taking bubble baths and getting our nails done. Lord knows that that is a lovely thing to do. For and sure. it's a level one thing to do. What happens when you need to keep going and you need to dig into level two, three, four? Mm-hmm. You have right. to know what what you need. You have to know yourself in those situations to be able to get the help that you need. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And if you're getting what you don't need, go somewhere else. Right. Well, and I think that that was going to be another call out around us talking about friendship, but we also talk about the safe adult and empathy. You talk a lot about empathy. And as a parent myself, I can speak for myself that I like to fix. So when my kid comes to me, I want to tell him how to fix it. Right. As opposed to really being that, that might not be what he needs right now. And I, I'm realizing this in this moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, if he's coming to me as an adult, I need to empathize with him because I do want to be that person for him. And I don't want to squash his dreams or ideas or feelings so that he feels less than or shame or whatever it is. But as much as we're talking about friends, we also need to talk about us as parents and adults. Definitely. That that empathy is going to help us when kids come to us for the little things, because if we can't show up for them in the little things, they're not going to come to us for the big things. I'm thinking of, you mentioned your friend, Yes, but <laughs> these are the parents who say, you're fine. Oh, yeah. You're okay. It's okay. You're, you're fine. When we're yep. having big feelings, you're fine. Well, no, right. I'm actually not fine in this moment. Don't try to tell me I am. Mm-hmm. And exactly. guess what? That didn't feel good, and I'm not going to tell her again. And there it is. And that's why we really try to emphasize for youth that while their parents 
hopefully, or their caregivers hopefully are, you know, safe and caring people. Often they're not. It's okay to have more than one. You probably should have more than one. Um, because what happens if the issue is with your parent? You know, Oof. you know, I what happens if you have if you have a fight with your parents and you really need to talk to somebody else who you're going to? You know, and it could be Teen Lifeline, but who is the safe adult in your life that you know that you can go to that will just listen to you, advocate for you, and validate you? Right. Often it can be your parents, but sometimes it might not be. And it's really important for us as parents to promote that with our kids, right? We can't be their everything, you know, just like their best friends can't be their everything. We can't always be their everything. And they should be able to have relationships with other safe and caring adults um, in their lives as well. That's a say it louder for the people in the back. (laughs) I feel like that's a badge of honor for people. And I don't want to just say parents, but for parents to, you know, I am the mother father, like I, this is my responsibility. And yes, to a point you are right. Mm -hmm. And you should have a community of safe adults that you trust your kids with. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, think of a time when, you know, I can't imagine anybody thinking of their childhood without thinking that they needed another safe and caring adult other than their own parents at some point. Oh, a thousand percent. I can list off five or 10 of them right now. Okay. I would have called a hundred percent. Yeah. And my kids still do, you know, listen, mine are 26 and 28 now, almost 29. Um, and they, they still, you know, don't fill me in on everything right away because they know I'm a fixer. I want to fix it. Uh Um, okay. What can we do? Let's, you know, come up with a plan. And right now they don't want to come, they just want to sit in it. Mm. That's okay. Right. Um, so we know, you know, we know each other enough to be able to, to do that. And I don't take offense if I don't hear about it right away. They have their reasons. Right. That's such a good question to ask yourself right now. If you're a parent listening to this, do Mm -hmm. you take offense? Mm -hmm. Because that is driving a wedge between the relationship that you have with your kids. Mm -hmm. Because I just turned 35 on Sunday. Ooh, happy birthday. Thank you so much. And my mom still takes offense. Yeah. If I don't tell her something, she gets defensive and mad at me. And I'm like, yeah, so I'm an adult and I have other resources that I know are going to help me more so than you can help me. And that's not a diss or a drag or anything against you, but it's what I know you have the capacity to do. Uh So I'm not going to burden you with a problem that you're going to stay up at night thinking about that you can't actually help me fix. Uh Right. And then, you know, you follow up that with doesn't mean I don't love you and value you. Right. I absolutely do, but I need to do this the best way for me. Yeah. And for her to understand that. And I think that's the hardest part is that she is going to understand it in her own way. And as much as we want her to see it in a different way, she's her own person. Right. And she might not, you know, she might not see it in her own way. She you're absolutely right. But that's not your responsibility, right? right? So you, you know, you do what you can do, and then she needs to, you know, create her own emotional intelligence. Um, that's not your responsibility, right. but it's your responsibility to treat her with respect and kindness, um, and it is your responsibility to advocate for yourself. That's oh, it, Amen. So as we round this episode out, we would love to know, just based on our mission and vision with emotional intelligence. Can you, off the top of your head, think of a time where having a good EQ or on the opposite end of that, 
question, having a lack of EQ has served you or hindered you in oh. such a way? <laughs> Gosh, and we're dropping a bomb. We are. You know, I really think since, since Zachary's death, you know, I, I feel like we've always had been a family with emotional intelligence, but um, we weren't prepared for the wall of stigma. And I would say that after Zachary died, for me, emotional intelligence is about understanding where to get the resources. So I know now like where to get the resources. You know, I know how to get the help. I understand how to take care of myself. I feel like my emotional intelligence has really risen. Um, I thought I had high emotional intelligence before Zach died, but I can actually see the thermometer rising. Mm -hmm. I feel that um, in my childhood, I did not have high emotional intelligence and had um, a lot of emotional situations and issues in my childhood. And I was very reactionary. You know, I, I took it all on me, right? I thought it was, it was always me. It was my fault. You know, I was this, I was that, I was that, I was this until I realized that I am my own person and I absolutely can advocate for myself, create my own self-care plans, you know, use my words for kindness um, and how different the world is for me when I use my emotional intelligence. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. Not only that you can continue to refine yourself in as adult, but also look look back and talk to your younger self to be like, man, all the time, what, right? <laughs> what this work could have done for me, but what what you went through got you to where you are today. So I call it the for- upside of down. I love that. It is really, it's very true. A beautiful representation of life. (laughs) It is. No, and I think that, you know, really my emotional intelligence as me as a family member, as a child was horrible, but my emotional intelligence as a parent is a lot better. Mm. And so I really hope that I've been able to impart that, you know, on my kids and that they can impart that on their kids. Absolutely. Well, and just think also of, I think of your legacy, like you in you have you've touched us and you're touching kids that you don't even know and families that you don't even know so your emotional intelligence is it's far and wide which is really cool and a lasting legacy so thank you um, for that that means a lot yeah no thank you for for what you are doing for our communities and i'm so excited to get this episode into the hands of parents so they can really lean into it and absorb and start thinking about there was so many good things in this conversation for them to be like okay how do i sharpen my eq more so i can be a better parent and really when we're better ourselves it impacts the people who live underneath our roof so thank you absolutely yeah well said Um, thank you where can people find you? What's 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 the best way that if they're curious about Kid in the Corner, um, what's the best way that they can see what you guys are up to? So the best way is to go to the website, kidinthecorner.org, or follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we're also on LinkedIn. And there's a contact page on the website. And, you know, you can email um, at info at kidinthecorner.org. And, you know, we answer emails really quickly and, you know, we're happy to come to schools or, or, you know, other organizations that support youth and, you know, do programming. We're excited to reach as many youth as we possibly can. Mm, do it. And it's you are. It. Yeah, it's, it's very cool to witness and, and be just a part of your atmosphere. So thank you for blessing us with some one-on-one time 
um, in the last couple months, we've we've really been blessed by your presence. Um, I feel the same. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, you guys, I mean, this one probably deserves a listen back. Um, as we always say, it's it's valuable to share. We would love to hear your thoughts um, if, if this impacted you as much as it's really impacted us. So we will, at that, leave it and we'll see you on the next episode of What's the Lesson. Have a wonderful rest of your day, you guys. We'll talk soon. We say this every time, but wow, what a powerful episode. These conversations always leave us feeling so fired up and inspired. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in with us. If you felt as inspired by listening to this conversation as we did having it, we would be ecstatic if you'd advocate for us in one of the following ways. By sharing this episode with a friend or tagging us on your social media, by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating and an honest review, or by following us on social media. This community is full of movers and shakers. We've linked our Instagram account as well as our exclusive community on Geneva for girls and parents in the show notes. This is a place where we exchange ideas, pose questions, and provide support to each other. Until next time, you guys, remember, being able to shift our WTF moments and finding the lesson instead saves us time and mental energy. And this bomb-ass episode was sponsored by Girls Mentorship. 